Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. We have a lot to talk about. Smile kicked off the Halloween season with a big box office opening. Also, a lot of buzz about the rom-com Bros, which ended up opening in fifth place. I'll have a lot to say about the conversations surrounding that weekend opening, as well as a lot more. Before we get into all of that, though, I want to thank my partner here on the show, as always, Carbon Health. I love being partnered up with Carbon Health because I love what they do, which is to help provide healthcare to as many people as possible, as affordably as possible. If you check out the Carbon Health app right now, you can see if there is a location near you. If there's not a Carbon Health location close by, you can also do virtual appointments. And Carbon Health also keeps slots open every day for people to walk into their locations because they understand that everybody has a busy schedule. You can't always plan ahead when you may need to see a doctor. If you live in California as well, you can use Carbon Health as your primary care provider. So much more to learn about Carbon Health. Check out that app. And thank you, as always, to Carbon Health for being my partner here on the show. Let's look at the box office results from this previous weekend. At number one, actually, with a, one of those openings that kept going up every time they would revise the estimates, is Smile with $22.6 million. That was the highest number, even higher than the final estimate that came in yesterday. Smile got a B minus cinema score, which is actually not bad when you consider that it's a horror movie. You kind of have to judge horror movies movies on its own scale. It's a movie that I actually really enjoyed. If you uh, want to click up, there's a little notification there that can show you uh, my review of that movie, but a great kickoff uh, to the Halloween box office season at number two, but just barely, only by about $20,000 was Don't Worry Darling, which was last week's box office champion. It dropped 64.6% in its second weekend. That is not good. That's what we call a superhero drop and, and a pretty bad superhero drop. Just going to show you that the word on the street apparently probably not very good about Don't Worry Darling. We knew that based on a lot of the audience response last week. Also that the movie was very front-loaded, possibly with a lot of fans that were there to see Harry Styles in the movie. So it doesn't look like Don't Worry Darling is going to have a very long-legged box office run because for a movie especially that's aimed at an adult audience, that is a big drop-off for its second week. Almost reclaiming the second spot, but not quite, is The Woman King, which is having legs a little bit closer to what we would expect from a movie that, number one, has an A-plus cinema score, and that is looking at an adult audience that may not rush out on the opening weekend. A 38% drop in its third week and a $6.8 million total. The Woman King is now approaching a $50 million domestic total. At number four, these two movies actually flip-flopped. Avatar was originally reported as the number five movie of the weekend, but when final numbers came in, it ended up being number four. The re-release of Avatar in its second week. It takes a 52.4% drop with a total just over $5 million. And then at number five is the rom-com Bros. Very heavily hyped as one of the first major studio rom-coms to focus on a gay couple with $4.8 million. I will have a lot more to say about this opening in just a few minutes. Let's actually look at Smile's opening as compared to other horror films this year. Nope still holds the number one spot with $44.3 million, followed by Scream at $30 million. But Smile ended up opening right around where we saw the Black Phone open back in the summer, and their budget was actually pretty similar. The Black Phone opened to $23.6 million. Smile opened to $22.6 million. I'm sure that the producers of Smile hoped that they could have the box office longevity that the Black Phone did, which ended up around $90 million uh, for its final domestic total. And then at number five is Barbarian with its $10.5 million opening. But again, look 
looking at these movies, and there are also some great horror films that are not on this list, we've just had a really strong 2022 horror year thus far, and we're getting into the meat of horror movie season. Smile was also a victory for original films, so basically movies that are not based on anything, not real life, not a short story, nothing. Nope, still number one, The Lost City number two. Smile with the number three opening for an original film this year at $22.6 million. Don't Worry Darling is at number four, and then Channing Tatum's Dog is at number five. Let's look at number six through 10 for the box office. At number six is Pony and Selvan Part One, which is a film from India. We're gonna be talking a lot more about that as we look at the worldwide box office, but it very nearly cracked the top five with a $4.1 million total. Barbarian in its fourth week drops 41.6% for a $2.8 million total, followed by Bullet Train still hanging around the top 10. In its ninth week, it drops 26.5% for a $1.3 million total. It also just scraped across the $100 million mark domestically. So it took a couple months, but Brad Pitt now has two $100 million grossing films this year, along with The Lost City. DC League of Super Pets is in ninth place in its 10th week with a 28.8% drop and a $1.2 million total. And then still hanging around the top 10. Maybe this is the last weekend. Maybe not. I, I don't count it out of anything at this point. In its 19th week of release. So it is going on almost five months in theaters, which is absolutely insane. Top Gun Maverick, a 25.9% drop and a $1.1 million total. Dropping out of the top 10 this past weekend, after two weeks, we saw the exits of See How They Run and Pearl, both dropping out of the domestic top 10. And after a 13-week run, Minions, The Rise of Gru drops out of the top 10. Of course, it is now available uh, digitally and on various other uh, streaming platforms, as are a couple of the other movies, uh, I, I should note, however, that are also still in the top 10. When we look at the overall box office weekend, we had a slight uptick from last weekend. So for the second consecutive week, we are beating the comparable weekend from last year, 2021, although you can see we're still well below the average that we were pre-pandemic. Although it looks like we're probably gonna dip below the 2021 total again next week because that weekend last year saw the release of No Time to Die. There's nothing coming out this upcoming weekend unless there's a huge surprise that could get us up to that mark. We have a much better shot with Halloween Ends coming out next week and then Black Adam following soon after. So let's talk about Bros, which is the number five movie in the country. And the conversation around the film in the last couple days has not really been about the quality of the movie, but more about the reaction of the co-writer and star Billy Eichner. As I mentioned, Bros is one of the first major studio rom-coms to be about a gay couple. The movie features a cast comprised almost exclusively of people from the LGBTQ plus community. I actually gave the movie a really good review. You can check out that review there if you want to see it. I I really, really enjoyed it, but I did not quite enjoy the tone and the tenor of the conversation that has happened in the wake of the movie not doing very well at the box office. On Sunday, Billy Eichner uh, tweeted out that he had gone to see the movie in a theater, local theater in Los Angeles, and that the crowd had really enjoyed it. And then he said, even with glowing reviews, great Rotten Tomato scores, an A cinema score, etc., straight people, especially in certain parts of the country, just didn't show up for bros. And that's disappointing, but it is what it is. Everyone who isn't a homophobic weirdo should go see bros tonight 
tonight you will have a blast and it is special and uniquely powerful to see this particular story on a big screen especially for queer folks who don't get this opportunity often i love this movie so much go bros and i understand that billy eichner i think he should be proud of this movie honestly i think it's a really really good movie but billy eichner did make the choice to kind of turn the conversation based on the underperformance of the film which did underperform even the modest box office expectations that were laid out for it there was this decision to sort of lay that failure at the feet really of particularly a straight audience saying that straight people did not show up and then this sort of i understand if you're trying to be a little flippant but this implication that if you didn't go see the movie that you're a homophobic weirdo i really think that's unhelpful and i think it also kind of oversimplifies the box office performance of this film and why bros maybe was an underwhelming opening so i wanted to look at its performance and kind of break down the reasons why I think that it did not do particularly well at the box office this weekend. And I think first and foremost, the thing to acknowledge, and some people would deny this, but I think it's it's somewhat undeniable, uh, is that yes, there were some people in the United States that did not go see bros because they are homophobic, because they don't like gay people. That's just something that was always gonna happen. And it's just where we are culturally, where we are societally right now in the United States. And it's something that I think Billy Eichner had to have known was going to happen. I'm not saying that it's right that that happened, but that's just the reality of where we are in this moment in time. However, I don't think it's fair to lay the failure of the entire film at the feet of a homophobic audience that didn't show up, or even a straight audience that didn't show up. There are some other factors that I think bear exploration when we're talking about why bros might have underperformed. And I think the thing you have to look at first and foremost is that romantic comedies in general, as a genre, theatrically, are not at the best of times. It's not as Hal Rundick would say, at the height of its powers. In the 1990s, there were seven romantic comedies that made over $100 million. When you go into the 2000s, which some people would kind of say was the height of rom-coms at the theatrical box office, that number grows to 10. But from 2010 to 2022, there have only been four romantic comedies that have made over $100 million. And there have only been 16 rom-coms that have made over $50 million. And when we're talking about bros and its budget, which is reported to be around $22 million, $50 million is about where this movie would need to reach to be profitable, I think, to be considered a theatrical hit. And yet only 16 movies in the last 12 years have been able to do that in this particular genre. I think when Crazy Rich Asians was a hit back in 2018, everybody said, oh, the rom-com is back. But it was actually the last rom-com to hit that $100 million milestone. And the genre's actually been much more successful on streaming. And when you look at the last 10 years, there are stars like Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, 2012 Reese Witherspoon that have struggled to open romantic comedies using their star power. And that's another factor that I think you have to consider is the star power of this movie. Because Billy Eichner is a very popular person uh, in the comedy world. Uh, he has a very devoted audience, but it is not what I would call necessarily a mainstream audience. Luke McFarlane, who's the co-star of the movie, most people don't know who he is. He's been in a lot of Hallmark films, but he's not a, a recognizable name or recognizable face. When you look at the poster for Bros, it's not two stars. It's not even two 
two people, it's two butts. And that does kind of lead me to the next thing, which is the marketing of the movie. The name and the image on the poster and the marketing really doesn't sell what this movie is about whatsoever. And then when you look at the trailers for the film, one of the things I loved about this movie is how squarely it tackles its subject matter and how confident it is about being the story of this gay couple and being inside the LGBTQ plus community. But I think when they were marketing the film, they may have gone a little bit too far to that side. And even including the line about, you know, straight people, they had their run. Oh my God, do you guys remember straight people? Yeah, they had a nice run. That was in every single trailer. And in the context of the movie, that was a really funny line. But I think when you clip that out and put it in there in the marketing material, there may have been some people uh, that are straight, that were in the straight audience that Billy Eichner was trying to, to draw into the film that said, oh, well, I'm not quite sure what the perspective is on this film. Like, am I going to get it? Am I going to understand it? Not people saying like, oh, I don't want to go see this because it's a gay movie, but more like, well, am I going to understand the humor? Because I think the trailer sort of painted the movie as perhaps being full of jokes that a straight audience might not understand. Now, when you go see the movie, I think that's 100% not the case, but I also think that that's kind of the marketing's fault. I know there's an expectation that you're going to target a lot of your marketing at the gay audience and at the LGBTQ plus community, but I think perhaps there was a little less consideration about, well, how do we also widen that interest scope and, and communicate effectively the truth of the movie, which is that I really think that all audiences could enjoy it. Something else that was a challenge, and again, this was a creative choice, but I think that you have to take it into account, is the rating of the movie. Bros is rated R, and it's a pretty solid R movie. I mean, there are some sex jokes that are wildly over the top in many ways, but that could serve to turn some audiences off. And again, when I talk about in the last 12 years, there have been 16 rom-coms that have made over $50 million, four of those have been rated R, which sort of narrows the bullseye even more. The final factor I think you have to consider is the market itself. I was reading a story the other day, actually, that was saying that this was the worst September at the box office since 1996. A lot of it is the selections from the different studios. They haven't put out uh, things that would drive traffic to theaters so people can see trailers or so that people might see one or two movies at a time. So when you combine all of that, I think that the story of bros at the box office this past weekend gets a lot more complicated because in my mind, really what you're looking at is a movie in a fading genre with no stars and a restrictive rating in a depressed marketplace. And yes, also the fact that there is a chunk of the audience that may show up for a straight rom-com that would not show up for this one. When you look at the reception of this movie, great critical score. The audience score, again, cinema score very strong. The verified audience score on Rotten Tomatoes very strong. It seems like the people that are seeing this movie really loved it. And it seems to me there are a lot of positives to take away about this weekend and the quality of the movie and how people are responding to it. And yes, I understand that it's disappointing that it didn't do better, but at the same time, I don't think this kind of rhetoric is going to help the movie do better in the long term. And I think you may be alienating some people who maybe were planning to see bros, but said like, well, wait a minute, uh, I, I was going to go see it, but if you think I'm a homophobic weirdo because I didn't go to the first weekend, then, you know, screw you. And then I'm not going to go see your movie at all. I was reading some reaction actually from some people inside the LGBTQ plus community that felt a little conflicted about the fact that it was sort of through the marketing and the promotion of this film being put on them to say like, you have to show up for this movie. You have to support this movie. And there are people saying like, well, I don't like rom-coms or you know what? I don't like Billy Eichner. I really don't think the winning strategy here is to pressure people into seeing this movie or tell people it's their duty to see it or they have to see it. I think with the strategy here, and if I were Billy Eichner's friend, what I would advise him to do is focus on your wins. I don't think the defensiveness here 
is the right strategy. So I know this has been a very long rant, but these are the kind of things that really uh, fascinate me when we're talking about the box office. And honestly, it's, it's the things that I like to talk about on the show because people really simplify box office numbers uh, a lot. And they try to just come up with a very easy explanation for why a movie does well or doesn't do well. And I think the interesting thing about analyzing the box office is, is knowing that in a lot of those cases, there are very complex reasons why movies don't do well. What Billy Eichner said, yes, that is an element of why this movie did not do well, but it is not the whole story. I really think we should just be focusing on what's good that's happening and not what's not so good. So anyway, that's that rant done. Let's keep looking at the box office charts for this weekend. Let's look at the per theater averages, and there's a familiar movie there at number one, RRR. It had a screening as part of LA's Beyond Fest at the TCL Theater in Los Angeles. It brought in $21,000. Apparently, that was quite a fun screening. Uh, lots of people dancing and having a great time. Sirens is at number two, again, in just one theater with an $8,890 gross. Again, Pony and Selvin Part 1, which is a Tamil language film from India. It was open in limited release, 500 theaters, but it made $8,200 per theater. Smile coming in at number four with $6,195 in each of its 3,600 plus theaters. And then Avatar, the re-release, probably because it is mostly in premium format theaters, is at number five, bringing in just under $2,700 in each of its 1,800 and 60 theaters. Looking at films that are in limited release, so these are movies that were playing in 1,000 theaters or fewer, Pony and Selvin Part 1 in 500 theaters takes the crown there, $4,100,000. And then another film from India, Vikram Veda, is at number two, bringing in just under a million dollars in 558 theaters. Moon Age Daydream is on the chart for a third week. It brought in just under half a million dollars in 675 theaters. At number four is the documentary film Super Spreader, which is about a Christian worship singer who held large concerts during the pandemic. It was a new release in 550 theaters at $289,500. And then India, again, really showing some strength on this limited release chart. Brahmastra Part 1 Shiva in 170 theaters, its fourth week in release with another $121,000. And when we look at the top grossing films playing in limited release for 2022, we have a couple of additions here. Brahmastra Part one Shiva is still number one with $7.7 million, followed by BTS Permission to Dance. KGF Chapter 2 is at number three with $6.6 million, followed by Marcel the Shell with Shoes On and Orphan First Kill. Pony and Selvin Part 1 debuts at number six on the chart with its $4.1 million total. That drops Cyrano down one spot to number seven. Moon Age Daydream now on the chart with $3.4 million. That drops Lal Singh Chada down to number nine. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, at least the portion of its release when it was playing in limited release drops to number 10 and then breaking and the worst person in the world which has been on this chart pretty much since the beginning of the year drop out of the limited release top 10. Let's look outside now of the domestic marketplace and see what the top films were internationally. These are all markets outside of the United States and Canada. At number one was a film out of China. This was their big National Day celebration. A lot of times we see several movies coming out of this weekend with much bigger grosses, but they are still working on lockdowns and stuff in China. So the big movie coming out is Homecoming with $58.3 million. Pony and Selvin Part 1. I actually had to do a lot of research. So that's why there's an 
asterisk there because I don't have a confirmed total here, but from the research that I could find outside of the domestic marketplace, it did $18.5 million, followed by Smile, which did $14.5 million internationally, the re-release of Avatar at number four, and then Ticket to Paradise at number five, the world getting a look at this movie much earlier than we are here domestically. So when you take the domestic charts and the international charts, you smash them together, we have the top five worldwide films. Number one is Homecoming with its $58.3 million total. Smile, especially for a movie at its budget point, a great worldwide release at $37.1 million for its opening weekend. Again, unconfirmed total, but I believe an estimated $28 million for Pawnee and Selvin Part 1. That's very good for a Tamil language film. Avatar drops to number 4 in its second week, a 44.2% drop and $17.3 million. And then Don't Worry Darling in its second week with a 56.1% drop and a $13.2 million total. Looking at the worldwide box office for 2022, Top Gun Maverick remains number one, Jurassic World Dominion at number two, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number three, Minions the Rise of Gru at four, The Batman at number five, Thor Love and Thunder at number six, The Battle at Lake Changjin 2 at number seven, Moon Man at number eight, Fantastic Beasts the Secrets of Dumbledore at number nine, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at number 10. We actually have some changes on this chart, though not quite as many as I had anticipated because I did the math wrong on No Time to Die. I thought it was going to rotate off the chart this week. It actually has about eight more days left on this chart. This is the previous 365 days chart. So you take today's date, you roll it back one full year. These are the top 10 movies over that time frame. Spider-Man No Way Home, of course, number one, nearing that 300 day mark. It will make the 365 day Hall of Fame. Top Gun Maverick at number two, Jurassic World Dominion at number three, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness at number four, Minions The Rise of Gru at number five. No Time to Die moves up one spot, and that's because the battle at Lake Changjin, the first film has rotated off of the chart. Now we've talked about the 365 day Hall of Fame and I've mentioned that the only movies that are eligible to go into the Hall of Fame are multi-market releases and also ones that I can get a verified box office total from. There are not third-party verified numbers that I can get. So that movie does not go into the 365-day Hall of Fame, but it does get the recognition of staying on this chart for a full 365 days. No Time to Die will be rotating off in about eight days, so it's got one more day, and then it will join the Hall of Fame. The Batman moves up one spot to number seven. Thor Love and Thunder moves up one spot to number eight. The Battle at Lake Changjin 2 moves up one spot to number nine. And then Moon Man, another film out of China, joins the worldwide previous 365-day box office chart with its $454 million total. Looking at the 2022 domestic box office, there are no changes uh, in ranking from last week. A lot of movies that are really locking in their total domestic grosses. Top Gun Maverick is still earning a little bit of money. It's got a $300 million lead on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Jurassic World Dominion actually appears to have ended its domestic theatrical run at $376,009,080. When we look at where that puts it as far as franchise grosses, it is fourth all time for the Jurassic Park slash world franchise. Jurassic World, the original at number one. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom at number two. Then we have the original Jurassic Park. And keep in mind that number is unadjusted for inflation. Jurassic World Dominion comes in at number four with 376 million. And then the Lost World Jurassic Park at number five. So if I'm universal, I'm thinking I probably ended that Jurassic World franchise just about at the right time because you were seeing diminishing returns, even though it's still a billion dollars every time. You don't want to absolutely absolutely running into the ground because these franchises can run out of gas very quickly. Just ask 
the Wizarding World franchise. At number four is The Batman. At number five is Minions, The Rise of Gru. Thor, Love and Thunder at number six. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at number seven. Elvis at number eight. Uncharted at number nine. And Nope at number 10. We've got some contenders coming up in October. We'll see how Halloween Ends does. We'll see how Black Adam does. And then, of course, we've got Black Panther Wakanda Forever on the horizon coming up in November. Before we look at the streaming charts, I always like to take a look at a weekend from Box Office Pass. And this is actually kind of appropriate because on Saturday, the finale of the Movie Trivia Schmodown aired, the final Schmodown Spectacular. I was lucky enough to be a competitor on that show. And there is no more Schmodown. It is sadly over. Uh, but it is perhaps fate, perhaps happenstance, that it happened to end on the 39th weekend of the year because back in the year 2000, the number one movie debuting was Remember the Titans, which has a long and mighty legacy when it comes to the movie trivia Schmodown. So Remember the Titans opened on the exact same weekend when the Schmodown would end 22 years later. We all remember the Titans if you're a Schmodown competitor. At number two was the 2000 director's cut of The Exorcist with $7.2 million, followed by Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous at number three with $5.5 million. Urban Legends Final Cut was in its second week with a $4.4 million total. And then rounding out the top five in its sixth week was Bring It On with a 29.6% drop and a $3 million total. Let's look now at what people are watching at home through various different streaming services. And we'll start as always with the iTunes chart. Top Gun Maverick remains number one, available for purchase and rental. But joining Top Gun on the chart now is Bullet Train, now available only for purchase. Where the Crawdads Sing is at number three. Emily the Criminal starring Aubrey Plaza is now available for purchase and rental on iTunes. If you haven't seen that movie, I highly recommend renting it. It is one of my favorite movies of the year. Aubrey Plaza is great in that film. You can now watch it at home for a very reasonable price. There's no excuse not to watch it. It's a really good movie. Mel Gibson's latest film, Bandit, is at number five, available for purchase and rental. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, also now available for purchase and rental on iTunes. Elvis available for purchase and now rental on iTunes. It comes back at number seven. Vesper is a new entry to the chart at number eight. It is not a James Bond prequel, but it is available for purchase and rental. And then two holdovers at numbers nine and 10. Nope, still only available for purchase. And Jurassic World Dominion, available for purchase and rental. Let's look at the top programs on Netflix. This is for the week of September 19th through the 25th. At number one, using my PFV method. So PFV means potential finished views. I take the length of a program. I divide it by the total hours watched. And that gives me the number of Netflix users who could have potentially finished viewing PFV those programs. Lou, the Netflix original movie starring Allison Janney actually comes in at number one with a PFE of 22.8, but right behind it is the much buzzed about and I think already infamous Netflix original series Dahmer Monster with 196 million hours watched and a PFE of 22.2. Another controversial film Blonde will probably be hitting this chart next week. Do Revenge stays on the chart at number three, followed by Fate the Wink Saga Season 2. Minions and More Volume 1 is at number five and this is a good example of why i do pfv as a measure of viewing because look at those hours watched 5.6 million far less than almost everything else that is on this chart here but this is a collection of minion shorts it's less than an hour long and so when you take that small running time by the number of hours watched you get a pretty high pfv and that puts it in the top five so this is why i do the pfv it's kind of an equalizer in many ways. At number six is the Netflix movie I Used to Be Famous, followed by Father Stew, which is another Mel Gibson movie, also starring Mark Wahlberg, that came out earlier this year. 
with a PFE of 6.6. Cobra Kai season five drops to number eight with a PFE of 6.1, followed by the Netflix movie, The Perfumier at number nine with a PFE of 5.9, and then the Netflix series Sins of Our Mother at number 10. Let's look at the Nielsen streaming ratings, which are not a perfect measure of what people are watching through various streaming services. For example, not all streaming services are represented here. It also does not measure all devices or in the case of things like HBO linear or cable viewing, but it does help to kind of give us a signpost as to how all of these different movies and shows are doing in relation to one another. These are also delayed by about a month. So this is for the week of August 29th through September 4th. Let's look first at the most watched streaming movies in the United States. Me time is at number one the netflix original love and the villa premieres at number two and then elvis which is available on that week for the first time on hbo max is at number three samaritan on amazon is at number four followed by the netflix movie i came by at number five sing two is at number six collateral from michael mann is at number seven this is 40 is at number eight and then Lightyear from disney plus and encanto from disney plus round out the chart at numbers nine and ten we finally now have the showdown that everybody's been talking about when we look at the most watched streaming series charts, which means that Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, and House of the Dragon are now both eligible to be reported on by Nielsen, although there are still some explanations that have to be done. For example, when you look at the hours watched on Lord of the Ring, The Rings of Power, over 20.8 million hours watched on Amazon. So that is a pretty big debut. You can see it bested House of the Dragon by about 7 million hours, uh, almost 8 million. Of course, the thing to keep in mind is this was the first week that Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power was on, and it was a two-episode premiere. So you basically have watch time for people that were watching the first two episodes kind of all at once on Amazon for Rings of Power, whereas with House of the Dragon, these were episodes that were staggered over a number of weeks. So I really think that we're going to get a much better idea of the weekly drawing power of both of these shows as we go along and as these numbers get reported across the season for both of them. But for this week, that is still a very impressive number. 20.8 million hours watched for Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, and Easy number one, followed by NCIS on Netflix. Then we have Game of Thrones on HBO Max, but right behind Game of Thrones, is House of the Dragon. Keep in mind that watch time is every episode of Game of Thrones versus three available episodes for House of the Dragon. Again, just showing you how many people are watching it. And again, that's also just on specific devices. That doesn't count linear watches on HBO proper. Devil in Ohio on Netflix is at number five, followed by Coco Melon at number six. Grey's Anatomy pops back on the chart at number seven, followed by Stranger Things at number eight, Echoes at number nine, and Disney Plus's Bluey at number 10. That wraps it up for the charts this week, as always, but it's really escalating as we get to the end of the year. There are so many movies and shows and stuff to watch coming up this week. There's like two dozen that I'm not even listing here. Theatrically, David O. Russell's latest film, Amsterdam, which has not been getting great critical reactions so far, opens wide, along with Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which is an adaptation of a kid's book. My brain broke when I first saw the trailer for this film. I don't know what the hell is going on in this movie, but I'll probably check it out. The new version of Hellraiser will be streaming on Hulu this weekend. I'll have a review of that coming up later today. The Disney Plus special presentation, Werewolf by Night, which is their offering to the Halloween market. I'll also be reviewing that later this week. It streams this weekend as well. On Netflix, you have the documentary, The Redeem Team, which is about the U.S. Olympic team from several years ago. A lot of interest. That's the one that had LeBron and Kobe, a superstar team to go back and kind of win back the gold for the USA. Mila Kunis's adaptation, Luckiest Girl Alive, is also streaming on Netflix 
Netflix this weekend. And then you have some films in limited release. Piggy, which is a really twisted horror film that I liked uh, coming out of the Sundance Film Festival, will be playing in limited release. Director Todd Field's latest movie, Tar, starring Kate Blanchett. She's been getting some best actress buzz for this film. It begins its rollout in limited release. And then the winner of the Palme d'Or, the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival, a societal satire from the looks of it called Triangle of Sadness, also opens in limited release. That does it for the show this week. Stay tuned right here on the channel. I'm going to have so much more as far as reviews and movie news. And of course, I'll be back next week with more box office. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks to Carbon Health as always for being my partner. Until next time, stay safe and I'll see you then. Bye.